Good morning, church. As the youth work their way out, bless you guys. Bless you guys. Well, it has been a few weeks since we were last in the book of Acts. So if you will, this morning, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. We started uh, Acts chapter 4 a few weeks ago. And as we got into it, the narrative, the storyline, if you will, stays the same. It's interesting because chapter 3 began with with Peter and John going to go do what they were probably doing on a regular basis, and that is going to the temple to pray. Now it tells us, or we know from history, that that they had three times of prayer in that time, in the morning and the afternoon at 12 o'clock and at 3 o'clock, and it tells us that they were on their way at 3 o'clock to go pray at prayer time. And right about the time that they are going to enter into the temple or the temple area where you had all these people who had been, you know, begging for alms and they've probably been there forever. It's a great place to to ask for alms because people are going to go do their religious duties. And while you're going to go do that, why don't you kick me down a few coins here and there, you know, Um, you'll feel better about yourself going in there, you know. And so here, here these guys are going to go do what they normally go do, probably pla- passing these guys who they've probably passed many times before. But this time, one of them, a lame man, it says, catches their attention. And there's this dialogue that happens between these guys, and all of a sudden, this guy who had been lame since his mother's womb 40 years old, gets healed. He ends up getting healed, and Peter and John end up spending the night in jail because of it. Go figure. So most of Acts chapter 4 takes place in a span of probably less than 24 hours. From the time that they had gone to go pray and healed this guy, to the time that we find ourselves in right now. So the initial healing of this man, this 40-year-old guy, has been probably about less than 24 hours, let's just say. And we started chapter 4 a few weeks ago with Peter and John being taken into custody, being arrested, if you will, and brought out the next day, now that the, the, the council, the Sanhedrin, the highest court in the land, religiously speaking, have now been able to assemble. So I'm assuming it's probably early in the morning, probably after the the first prayer, after six o'clock. So again, you know, probably eight, nine, ten o'clock in the morning. Here they are standing before them, before the Sanhedrin. Now understand that the Sanhedrin, this group, this council that, he is, that they are standing before, these are the same guys who probably a few months earlier, several months earlier, have put Jesus to death. And these guys are now standing in front of them. And this is where, again, we pick up the story in verse four, uh, 13 and we'll go to verse 31. A lot of reading. 
Now, when they saw the boldness, they being the, the Sanhedrin, and when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who was healed standing with them, they could not, they could say nothing against it. And when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? For indeed, a, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it spread no further among the people, let us severely threaten them, that from now on they speak to no man in his name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot speak, we, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them. Because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done, for the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had, to, had been performed. Verse 30, 23. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why do the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look at their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand of, to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Father, please, I pray, God, that you'd give us even that boldness right now and that fresh filling in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we go back to verses 13 and 14, where we pick up this narrative once again, we see that when, Peter, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, 
says that they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. This newfound boldness that we have been talking about, or that I've been talking about lately, as we've been in the book of Acts, these disciples are are not just experiencing the boldness to preach the gospel, but now it has taken on a whole new dimension. They now have boldness to defend the gospel. Not just preaching it, but now people are coming after them because of what they're preaching. And again, you, you kind of go, well, wait a minute, the gospel is good news, and how is it that people are coming against that? But that's what's happening now against these guys who all they wanted to go do was go pray. <laughs> they were going to go do their religious duties because that's what they did on a regular basis. They're not the ones that thought this whole thing up. They were just going and all of a sudden this happens and all of a sudden Peter says, hey, I don't have no money. But what I do have in the name of Jesus, get up and walk and all hell broke, breaks loose now. What the heck? How is this happening to these guys who are out there doing what God has called them to do? They're, they're going about their business. They didn't plan this. And in less than 24 hours, they're standing before these people and they are now having to defend the gospel. And it's interesting here, that what I find interesting is that the defense of the gospel is not coming from the religious leaders or the lawyers defending what's right and what's righteous. All of these who understood and knew the rights of the little guy, <laughs> the common folk. No, what we see here is the little guy, the common man, coming against a group of religious lawyers. Because there's lawyers among the Sanhedrin here, these scribes. These people who should have known the power of God. After all, they had a form of godliness, but they were truly denying the power thereof. Look at what these, the Sanhedrin, this council, is dealing with. They saw the boldness or the unfettered eloquence of Peter and John. Now, not eloquence as high, high, highly educated as they've already told us. They didn't think much of them. But these guys are bold enough, and, and what they're speaking, the boldness that is coming out, is coming out and it's flowing fairly well. In other words, what they are seeing from Peter and John is that these guys aren't scared. They're not fearful, nor are they timid of these religious leaders. They're standing, they're standing bold. You see, these guys are not backing down, not one bit. They've just been put in jail. They've just been brought before this council. People would shake in their boots or their sandals standing before these guys. Because these guys understood the, the, the power that the Sanhedrin wielded. These are the ones that brought Jesus to Pilate, who took him to Herod, who, 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 who claimed, this guy has blasphemed, we need to put him to death. We don't want to do it, but you guys can, and they did. So they understand. They're standing before these guys and there's no fear. 
They're fearless, if you will, not backing down. And the reason why they're not backing down is because these guys, these disciples, Peter and John, they knew what they knew. They knew what they do, they knew, and nobody was going to change their mind. They were that confident in what they knew. They were that confident because they understood that Jesus had been put to death, but they seen the risen Christ. And last week that we were talking, we're celebrating the risen Christ. There's something that happens to you. It definitely has to happen to you when you meet up with the risen Christ. It, you cannot be the same. These guys were never the same. And so these guys, they knew what they knew, and no one could convince them otherwise. That's how confident they were in their Jesus and what they were preaching. The Sanhedrin perceived. But what was it that caused them to perceive? Was it Peter and John's dress? <laughs> was it Peter and John's mannerisms? Was it their speech? Was it their accent? What was it that, 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 that caught their attention? Was it the fact that they were not eloquent enough for these Sanhedrin? <laughs> After all, they are uneducated and untrained. In other words, they were just common men with no educational advantage. Just your typical run-of-the-mill little guy common folk. That's the way these religious leaders looked down on everybody else. I don't care who they were. These guys sat behind or on top of and looked down on everybody else. And I could guarantee you, man, they had all their regalia on. They looked the part, man. They, they were pompous in the way they, they, they presented themselves. And as they sat on this council, and man, people were walked in as like, oh my goodness. <laughs> it's interesting because I, I, I get the privilege of, of sitting on the Sarb Council here in our school district. That, that, that the truancy people have to come and sit before us. Ha! And, and you have these probation officers. You have these public defenders. You have these cops. You have, you have these prosecutors. You have all these people, and then you have me. Hey. <laughs> I'm just a community member. I happen to be a pastor here, too. <laughs> and, man, I can't tell you how many times people walk in. It's like, oh, my gosh. And I always tell them, those guys on that side, they're the, they're the mean guys. Because they have their uniforms. They have their regalia on. And they're like chief of police. And they're the blah, blah. And, and so, yeah, man, they're standing there like, hey, I'm right here. But apparently I'm pretty intimidating at times. <laughs> you guys are going, <laughs> not even in your wildest dreams, Zeke. <laughs> Be that as it may. What I'm saying is that these guys, they're coming in front of this council and they are... They should be intimidated, but these guys are not. They're coming in, and there is boldness in their life. But let me explain to you what really is going on. And what we find, we find what really is going on in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 23 to 31. You can turn there if you'd like, but I have it in my notes, so I'm going to jump to it right now before you get there. I'm kidding. What's happening here is, is the Apostle Paul writes something about what God does. And it's interesting because Paul was, was on the way of being a part of or would eventually be a part of the Sanhedrin himself had he not gotten saved. He was on that track. But this is what Paul says 
in 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in His presence. For of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness, and sanctification, and and redemption. That, as it is written, he who who glories, let him glory in the Lord. That's what we're seeing right here. You have these pompous, educated, well-educated religious leaders that are sitting on this council, and you have these fools who believe that Jesus actually resurrected. You have these uneducated people who don't have the advantage that these people from the council have. That's who these people are, and yet God is saying, that's the people I've chosen to stand up against those religious leaders who are fighting against the name of Jesus, and that's what they're fighting. The Sanhedrin saw. They perceived, which caused them to marvel or be in awe. And what was it? that they saw and perceived? It was a boldness. And they realized, they came to a conclusion that these men had been with Jesus. That's the only thing that they could come up with, man. You guys have no formal education, but you guys have been hanging out with this Jesus guy. And I could tell you, man, that, that the words that we see here, that they saw, they perceived, they marveled, they awed, they were in awe, it means that they were blown away. <laughs> they were probably more blown away that these guys aren't cowering, that they're standing up to them. And what an amazing statement that is, that what they came to the conclusion of, what they realized, is that these common men have been hanging out with Jesus. And that, that's a huge thing right there. We should be challenged by that. You see, the evidence that they had been with Jesus was standing right next to them. That is, the lame man. They knew, these guys knew, Peter and John knew they had done nothing except put their hand out. (laughs) Just lifted a guy out of his, his situation. That's all they did. They were just tools. They were just, they were just funnels, if you will, of what God was doing. And they totally understood that. But that evidence of them hanging out with Jesus is now standing beside them. And everybody knew who this guy was. Everybody. The Sanhedrin, they all knew this guy. All of Jerusalem knew who this guy was that was standing right next to him. And the Sanhedrin, it tells us, could not deny it. But they wouldn't admit to it either. <laughs> These jokers, man, it's like you see the evidence. But they're not going to give these guys a satisfaction of going, man, Jesus must be real. He must have risen from the dead. No way, Jose. Or Jesus, Jesus. (laughs) But you see, 
the Sanhedrin, the, the, the council, they had enough evidence before them to convict these guys of being with Jesus. But that was not a crime. <laughs> but they had all the evidence in the world to convict them. If it was a crime, and I, 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 I could guarantee you, if they could change that right now, they would have changed that. To say, we're putting you to death because we just made it law that you can't preach in the name of Jesus. Retroactive. Which begs the question, as I was studying this, because I questioned it myself, if, if being with Jesus was a crime, would there be enough evidence in your life to convict you of being with Jesus? Ooh, let that sink in a little bit. Hey, if, if it convicts me, stuff, if I have to come up with these questions, I'm going to throw them at you. Because if I have to ponder all of that stuff, heck, I'm not going to carry this alone. You're carrying it with me. And, and, and so if being with Jesus was a crime, would there be enough evidence in your life, in my life, to convict us of that? You see, people, people around us, people in our families, in our homes, at work, people around us, they see. They see things. And they may perceive things. But what... Are they realizing? What conclusion are they coming up with in your life? Is it because you, you, you say <laughs> that you have been G with Jesus? Or, or is it just evidence without you even saying anything that you've been with Jesus? Believer or non-believer, you can make any claim you want. But what's their conclusion? What's the proof that they see? Not that they hear. What's the proof that they see in your life that you have been with Jesus? Is there any evidence that is staring them in the face? Or are they just taking your word for it, even though your words carry no weight or water? Because they see no evidence in your life. And I'm just posing that question, like I said, man, dude, I have to ask myself these questions as well. What do people see in my life, whether it's my family, my extended family, whether I'm out, out and about in this community or wherever I find myself? In, in just the way I conduct my life, is there enough evidence to convict me, to convict you? Or does it look like the, the, the next guy? And they're going, I can't tell the difference. But you see, these guys, these common men who are standing before these religious leaders, these guys knew because of what was going on. Not, again, there's a, there's a guy who had been lame for 40 years standing right next to them. And they're going, these guys didn't do it, man. These guys are clowns. These guys are common people. They knew these guys must have been hanging out with Jesus. Why? Because they knew that Jesus would do stuff like that. There was evidence already in people's lives around them. In verse 15, it says, And when they had commanded them to go outside or go out of the council, they conferred among themselves. In other words, they were conferring, deliberating, convening Peter and John's fate. 
They were trying to figure out what do we do with these guys? And you see, the, this council had every right to condemn them to death because they had brought Jesus to Messiah status, which equated to God's status. Again, this is what they sent Jesus to, to go get crucified from because they asked him, are you the Christ? And he says, you have said it, I am. Ah, what more? What further uh, uh, testimony do we need? This guy's convicted of his own self. And so these guys, Peter and John, have elevated Jesus to God's status, Messiah's status. And so these guys had every right to do the same thing that they did to Jesus. There was enough evidence to prove it. But their question is, because they can't deny what's truly gone on, <laughs> what shall we do with these guys? Everybody in Jerusalem is aware of what has happened. You see, Exhibit A, if we're in a courtroom, Exhibit A is standing, walking, leaping, and praising God all over the place. <laughs> they can't deny Exhibit A. It doesn't tell us that he went to jail with these guys overnight, but when he knew that these guys would be standing before the council, he walks in and stands with these guys. I'm with these guys. I'm the evidence that God has done a notable miracle in this place. And so they cannot deny, nor can they play this down, because this guy keeps leaping and praising God. But, so that it spread no further, <laughs> these guys, among the people, let us severely threaten them, in verse 17. That from now on, they speak to no man in his name. These religious leaders are in a quandary, a dilemma, a predicament, if you will. All because they can't deny what's standing in front of them. Probably the guy's still leaping and praising God. And for sure, they're never going to admit to it even though he is standing right in front of them. So if, if, if they were to beat them, if they were to keep them in prison, even if they killed them, they would still probably have this major uproar because it wasn't a crime to be healed, so they couldn't do anything to the guy who was lame, who was now walking and leaping and praising God. They had already dealt with Jesus, and he was a problem. And now his disciples are using his name. But I could guarantee you that Rome is keeping a close eye on this whole religious system because, again, the Roman soldiers had, 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 had allowed this resurrection to happen, and they had this story out there. And so you can guarantee, I can guarantee you that the Roman government is keeping a close eye on everything that's going on. And if they are now hearing about this guy who's leaping and jumping and praising God, they're probably going, oh, here we go again, because that name Jesus is out there again, that guy that was put to death several months ago. And so, man, these guys are like, no, we can't win here. And so their conclusion is, let's just severely threaten them. <laughs> After all, these guys are uneducated. 
They're untrained. And who could really defend themselves against the Sanhedrin, the council? Who could really stand against them? Because these guys, they wield a lot of power and everybody knows it. And, and I think that it, they're, they're thinking in their mind, if we just severely threaten them, we're not, we can't really beat them, beat them, but let's just threaten that we will or we'll incarcerate them for a long period of time or we'll even put them to death like we put your Jesus to death. But they're thinking if we just do this, It'll just run its course, and it will eventually die out. I think that's what they're thinking. After all, when you, are, when you get severely threatened by that Sanhedrin, it's like, it's like the mob putting a green light on you. Man, you, be, you better keep yourself in check, and don't, don't divert from anything, because as soon as you do, we're going to whack you. <laughs> that's mob lingo. Right? We're going we're gonna to kill you off. We're going to give you some cement shoes or something. Have a horse head on your pillow next to you. Again, they're, go- they're going to come after these guys. And so these guys should be afraid of what has just happened, right? Man. Their final ruling was from now on, You are not to speak to no man in that name. (laughs) Uh, It's interesting because from that time right here to today, (laughs) that name has caused so many problems. And if the world could, it would silence that name. But there's just something about that name. Should be a song about that. Maybe I should come up with a song. There's just something about that name. Those who are fighting against that name are fighting a losing battle. Oh, they might silence some who would be threatened. Don't use that name, and they're going. Too much problems here. But that name, it resounds, it resonates, it reverberates. Even if it's used in a cuss word. Even if it's used like that, in a negative way, guess what? That name continues to resound, to resonate, and to reverberate. And it will do that for all of eternity. Because the demons, they quake at that name. And the people who try try to silence it is because their hearts are being convicted. Just like these guys right here. And they're just saying, you know what? If we just threaten them enough, they will shut up. They will keep it quiet. And so now the disciples, they have a decision to make here. After all, (laughs) when the highest religious court in the land Wheels that much that, that wields that much power. You can't fight against it's it's like that old saying that says you cannot fight against the Sanhedrin or City Hall or something like that. You can't fight Sanhedrin. You can't fight City Hall. You you will always lose, right? 
Is that old saying? That was the same way with the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin said something, dude, you better do it. You don't fight against us because we can do a lot of damage to you. And so these guys have a, a, a they're in a predicament, you would think, Peter and John, that, that they are now on the, uh, 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 in, in a dilemma. <laughs> but it tells us in verse 19, but Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. <laughs> I am so, like, sure that when they came with the conclusion, let's just severely threaten them. I am so sure that they were just waiting for these two men to put their tail between the leg, their legs. Thank you, sirs. Thank you for being kind to us, for letting us go. And they just go right off into the sunset. I'm sure that's what they were expecting from these cowards. Because <laughs> they had severely threatened them. Being uneducated and untrained men. <laughs> Come on. And, and, and what I find amazing here is that these guys are basically just calling their bluff. Peter and John are, are calling their bluff. And, and I'll, give you an, I'll give it to you in my little translation, not even the Amplified translation. You threaten us with punishment. You just go on with your bad self. You judge and you decide whether we, we are to listen to you or to God. That's what they're saying. You do what you got to do. And I love that, that this is just classic Jesus. And I'm, I'm sure they just remembered everything that Jesus had done and said in their lives as they're standing before these guys. Because Jesus said, hey, one of these days you're going to be standing before the council. And I could guarantee you that right now, man, as they had just turned the tables on these guys. <laughs> these guys who are the smartest in the room. And they know it. Or they think they know it. And they're standing or they're sitting before these two fools. And these two guys are turning it back around and say, you go ahead and you make the judgment. If we are to listen to you, to man, rather to, to God. You put that in the record right now. You put it on the record right now if we are to do that. Because we cannot but help speak of what we know and what we've seen. Here we see the boldness of the disciples. Guys, they are ready for the consequences. They know that they haven't done anything wrong. These guys are just upset because Jesus, in the name of Jesus, this guy is standing there and leaping and praising God. And these guys, these guys are upset because they can't deny this miracle, but they don't want to admit to it. And now they're saying, okay, we, you can't even speak the name of Jesus. And these, are, these guys are going, you do what you got to do. We're not going to stop. These guys knew what they knew and nothing was going to change their mind. I, I really don't think that they are being defiant as I sound like right now. 
I just get a little hot here. But I really don't think that they're that defiant in a bad way. Even though they've just turned the table on these guys and say, it's up to you. You make the judgment as to what you want to happen from this moment on. Understand, guys. <laughs> these guys are not crying foul. These, these guys are not trying to gain sympathy from anybody. They're not trying to gain their release from someone. Hey, get, get my lawyer on the phone. I truly believe that even though they've done a good deed and it's all evident to everybody in Jerusalem, I truly believe that these guys were willing to pay the price, the consequence for what had happened. They saw what happened to Jesus, an innocent man, be crucified. And they know what they know and they believe what they believe and they are convinced of that. And nobody, none of these guys are backing down. And it just reminds me so much of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. You remember the story in Daniel? Where these guys are told, you bow down or we throw you in the fiery furnace. And they stand before the king and they say, you go on with your bad self. We're ready to go get heated. <laughs> we'll become crispy critters right now, but we are not bowing down to your God. Nor to your image. We know that our God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down. They're ready to pay the price. It wasn't illegal for the disciples to teach in the name of Jesus. And if they would have taken it to a higher court in the civil part, the Romans could care less about that. But it's this group of religious leaders they have the jurisdiction over this whole religious aspect of the land. And it's almost like they rule to a certain extent. And I was just kind of reminded of how some countries are ruled by their religion. And they have every right to put people to death who do not comply. Speaking of a lot of these Muslim countries, that is illegal to preach the name of Jesus. At what point do we today use this argument that Peter and John are using? At what point do we, do we use that? Because there are many instances where people can tell you, can tell me, hey, you cannot mention the name of Jesus. Understand, brothers and sisters, this is nothing new. <laughs> we get all uptight because there's certain things that happen in our country, and you're going, not our country. It's like, yes, it happens in our country. But we're a Christian nation, really? <laughs> Since when? <laughs> now. Because everything has changed. At what point do we use this argument? The book of Acts was written 2,000 years ago. Nothing has changed. The name of Jesus is still an offense to people. And it's becoming more and more an offense in our country. Right? So at what point do we use that argument? We will listen to God more than man. Can I just, again, just let me throw this out, man. We need to use wisdom. Because we can probably use this argument anytime we want. But are we willing to pay the consequences for using that argument? 
Can, can I share with you that these guys were willing to pay the consequence? They were not calling some Christian lawyer saying, hey, man, I know my rights. I know my religious freedoms that I have here. They, they weren't calling anybody. Now, again, this is just me sharing with you. But if we are told that we cannot use the name of Jesus in a certain place, but we, or you, but we feel strongly about it, so strong that you're going, they can't shut me up. Then go ahead and, and do it. Go on and do what your conviction tells you to do, but please, please, please do not play the victim after that. Oh, I can't believe I was fired. What were you fired? Because I was preaching Jesus' name. It's like, did they hire you to preach Jesus' name? Well, no, they, they, they hired me to do all these widgets. Then do the widgets and preach before or after or on your own time. But if that's their dime and they're not paying you to be a preacher or a pastor on their premises, then again, that's up to you. Don't cry the victim when you get fired. That's what you decided to do. Because again, if I'm invited to go do an invocation or a prayer at some business or some county thing or whatever, and they tell me, okay, pastor, you can come and pray, but please do not pray in Jesus' name, then I have every right to decline. They're not forcing me to go do that thing. But if I am so inclined to go, you know what? I'm going to do it. They're telling me I can't. I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> Dude, man, I'm, I'm clever enough <laughs> to sneak it in there. No way you're going to shut me up. Right? If I'm so moved to do it, then I should deal with the fallout afterwards if I ruin it for every other pastor after me. It's like, I don't care. I preach the name of Jesus. Again, don't cry the foul, or don't, don't, don't play the victim if you are told, hey, you can't do it here. Hey, go for it. I had a brother one time, man. He was in another, in another country, and they were, they were really cracking down on Christianity. And yet he comes back and he's going, but I felt like I should have. I said, you should have. I said, yeah, but it would have ruined it for everybody else. But if God convicted you, who cares about everybody else? But you see, you got to be wise about this. And, and again, I'm not saying, hey, bow down and, and back down. I'm just saying that if the conviction is there, you go for it. Because there will come a time probably in our country that Jesus is out loud. And when that happens, what are, you, what are you willing to do or not do? Again, the disciples were not asking to be bailed out. But they weren't going to compromise either. They weren't going out trying to change the ruling, the law. They, weren't, they, they didn't go out and start going, okay, we got to start a campaign here. we got to come against these people, and get our religious freedoms back. They're not doing that. And again, guys, I know that there are times that we appeal to Caesar. There's times that you go and you fight. It's civilly. Paul, Paul's a good example for us. Dude, that guy knew when to use the law, when not to use the law. He knew when it would work to his advantage and when it wouldn't, and he's just like, mm. That's why he kept on being thrown in jail. That's why he kept on getting jacked up. That's why he kept on being beat up. 
That's why he was kicked out and told never to come back again. But he was willing to pay the price. When they told him, hey, you can't go into Jerusalem, he's going, I don't even, I don't even care about my life. If I get thrown in prison, I get thrown in prison. <laughs> it's funny because he gets thrown in prison, and that's when he appeals to Caesar. It's like, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm a Roman citizen, peeps. <laughs> so again, it's not that he was compromising. He just said, hey, man, I'm going to fight this, man. I got the opportunity to stand before Caesar. I'll go do it. So, see, he, he was willing to, to pay the price. And these guys, Peter and John, they didn't know if they were going to get locked back in there. They were going to stand up and go, hey, you choose what you want to be done. You tell me what you, you want us to do. Because we're willing to go back in prison. And if you want to crucify us and kill us like you did our Jesus, then we'll do the same. But we're not going to do what you tell us to do right now. And so they further threatened them. <laughs> these guys had no power anymore against these guys. Guys, when, when, when there is no more fear in you, because you know that man can't do anything to you, <laughs> there's a newfound bullet. Because I could guarantee you, as time went on with these guys, <laughs> they were getting more and more bold. They were going like, man, we'll, we're good in jail. If that's, what, if that's what God wants for us right now, we're good to go. Again, these guys had no clue if these guys would put them back in jail or set them free. They didn't know if they would live or die for that matter because they're standing up against these people who had every right to put them to death for blasphemy, for saying that it was Jesus. But it says that they let them go. Because they could not find any fault in them. They couldn't punish them. It's not for a lack of trying, man. I could guarantee you when they were uh, conversing, when they were con convening or whatever, whatever they were deliberating, they were going like, how in the world can we shut these guys up? But you see, Peter and John were standing firm. Come what may, they were not going to be moved. Again, what I find fascinating, and we're not going to finish the rest of the chapter. <laughs> Just to let you know. What I find fascinating is that this was not even planned. All they wanted to go do is go pray. They, they were just going to go pray. If they would have just ignored this guy and just went in and did their religious duties and when they walk out, it's like, don't look at that guy. Nothing would have happened. But for some reason, the Lord allowed them to take a look at this guy and their heart was moved. And guys, <laughs> I know as Christians, man, we're supposed to have a compassionate heart. But like I shared with you a few weeks ago, man, you pull up that, that red light, that guy standing right there is like, man, just, keep, just don't look at that guy, man. I don't care what the sign says right now. <sighs> Come on, green light. Come on, baby. They could have done that, but there's times that all of a sudden God says, now's the time. Put your hand out there. <laughs> Reach down. Pull somebody up. See what happens. And you're going, not if I'm going to be thrown in jail. These guys had no clue what was about to happen, but I could guarantee you because of what happened, their faith grew. There was a newfound boldness that just enveloped them. 
and they were ready to go. Nothing was going to move them. Nothing. Nothing was going to... What do you think that, 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 that lame guy was thinking as he's standing there and these guys are threatening them and he's going, oh, because of me? Jeez, you guys should be happy that I'm not begging for, for money anymore. I'm standing with, right in front of you, exhibit A, dude. Look it, God has, can heal. God is willing to do that. You guys never did that for me, but these cats right here, these common folk, these uneducated and, and untrained men, they, were, they, they just put a hand out. I don't have no money, but in the name of Jesus. See what happens, guys. Put your arm out there. Somebody who, who's hurting. Someone who, who is crippled who's paralyzed in their life right now. Put your hand out there and see what happens. And in the name of Jesus, say, hey, stand up. Let's see what happens. I guarantee you, it might not, it might not flow, and it might turn out like this, and you might have opposition, even you're going, but this guy got saved. And people get mad when people get saved. What was that guy thinking? I don't know if I could do this Jesus stuff. Kidding me? He was probably going, hey, I'll join you guys. Throw me in prison with these guys. If you're letting these guys go, where's the prayer meeting? <laughs> I'm going with you guys. I'm in. Father, we just thank you, Lord, right now. We thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. Lord, right now, Lord God, we just want to humble ourselves to you. I just want to look to you right now, Lord. Lord, I ask that we would be bold enough because of who you, you are and what you've done in our lives. Lord, we're nothing special, not one of us. And yet you call us your children. You've given us authority to use your name and Lord, I pray for wisdom in how we do that in our lives. Lord, I thank you for the examples that you give us in your word. Thank you, Lord, that you give us guys like Peter and John that were willing to pay the ultimate price, Lord, because they knew who paid the ultimate price for them. Help us, Lord. <laughs> Be bold. Help us, Lord. Not to, not to desire the easy life, <laughs> but the godly life, no matter what, what comes our way. And I know that's a hard prayer for some, but I pray for wisdom that you give us that boldness to do that. And we honor you, Lord, this morning. I pray that, God, if there's any who are here to, this morning who don't know you, Lord, who, who right now are crippled in their life or paralyzed, They've been like that all their life. That, Lord, as we share this message, that the people that are sitting around these people, that I, myself, Lord, would reach a hand out to lift up someone who's hurting and see what happens. Lord, give us that boldness. Lord, help us to be funnels, to be instruments, to be vessels, to be tools in your hand. Go with us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand.